Throughout the four Gospels, Jesus often uses a device that we call a parable. These are essentially small, memorable stories that Jesus uses to describe his mission or his ministry. Though many people might assume that Jesus was using parables to explain himself or explain his purposes, it's actually made apparent, especially in the Gospel of Mark, that the people who heard Jesus' parables were usually very confused by them. To make things even more interesting, it seems that this confusion is actually intended. Jesus seems to be using parables in a way that is intentionally confusing to his audience. And he does this in such a way which places his parables in a much broader context of Israel's prophetic tradition. In this episode, we're going to be assessing the way that Mark talks about Jesus' parables and how Mark uses references to the Old Testament, specifically to the prophet Isaiah, to frame Jesus' intentions. This is going to show us that Jesus' parables are not just small, easily digestible moral lessons, but actually much deeper statements about the kingdom of God, which place Jesus' ministry in a much broader context within God's entire relationship with Israel and God's entire plan for redeeming the world. What's up, Brennan? Hey, uh, nothing much. Just, just living. Just living life. Yeah. Well, today we're gonna learn how to live life from Jesus. <laughs> Great segue. <laughs> Thank you. I pr- I pride myself on that. <laughs> Brennan, tell me what a parable is. Um, a parable is a word that I've never heard outside of Christianity. So <laughs> I don't know if it has its roots from somewhere else. Probably, be, like most you things. You know what? Why don't but, I Google it? Yeah, okay. But it is a story that Jesus tells that has um, that is meant to represent something or teach something about, a lot of them are about the kingdom of God, but pretty much a story just meant to teach something or make a point. Cool. So uh, I just Googled it. This is uh, the dic- there. This is the dictionary entry that pops up. A simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson, as told by Jesus in the Gospels. Oh, okay. So it's just a Jesus thing, according to the dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Jesus is probably the most famous. Yeah. Teller teller of parables. I'm sure they exist mm-hmm. in other faith traditions as well. Um, yeah. But like, also, no, I had the word and it left. Like there's a word for like fable normal. Or do fables always teach a story? Like there is a non-Christian word for like stories that teach a lesson, but I can't. Okay. Think of okay. It. Well, this is, this might be a good way to start. Let's brainstorm. How about allegory? <laughs> allegory. I think that's what I'm looking for. See, no, but that represents something. That's not always a lesson, right? Like yeah. That just- yeah. I guess that's the thing. Cause an allegory is where the characters or the events represent bigger concepts. Right. Um, Then there's a fable, which I think is fable is probably closer to what Christians would mean when we say parable, because I think fable is more like 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 tortoise and the hare, right? Right. Okay. It's a story that's meant to teach a lesson. So fable, yeah. When so you're a pastor, Mm -hmm. this is experience that you have that I don't. You (laughs) have experience talking to large groups of people and trying to teach things to large groups of people. Yeah. And I think it's very common practice. Uh, this is probably a universal Christian thing. This probably isn't unique to any one tradition, but it's probably pretty common practice to include little stories in your sermon to illustrate a point, right? Like I try because <laughs> I, uh, cause I, I feel like it just helps people engage. And if you can make them laugh, it kind of takes people's, defenses down or maybe helps them listen more. So even like when I can even, although I have a hard time coming up with stories for my life that always relate, I'm not always able to do it. Even if it's something that like barely relates or like I try to include at least some type of story, but it's not always like, 
I think like I'm not. I think there should be like ten minutes in every sermon where the pastor can just tell a funny story, and it can be completely unrelated to the sermon, <laughs> but just purely for the sake of entertainment as an icebreaker. You just tell yeah. a funny story. I think that'd be great. I'd run out of stories. I, I think pretty quick. Yeah. Well. Okay. I mean, a lot of them, a lot of times when a pastor is telling a story, you can tell this didn't actually happen, you know, <laughs> or like at least this didn't happen as easily as you're making it sound. Right. But so, yeah. Okay. No, but I mean, we agree that's a common practice of pastors in yeah, just to use stories to kind of illustrate a point or even just to, you know, get the crowd warmed up to what you're about to say. Mm. So that's basically what Jesus is doing with parables, right? Um, no, no, <laughs> I thought I would get you there. That's not what Jesus is doing with parables. Yeah. <laughs> I, w- I was, re- I was really hoping you were going to say yes. And then I'd be like, ha, gotcha. And then I'd have to quit the podcast <laughs> immediately out of shame. <laughs> you'd have to go, <laughs> Just leave. You'd have to go live in the mountains, change your name. Uh, yeah, no, that's definitely not what Jesus is doing. Um, and if it was, he'd be doing a really bad job of it because the gospels make it pretty clear that people had usually had no idea what he was talking about when he tells a parable. Um, so let's dive right in here. Uh, we're going to be focusing mostly on Mark chapter four. This is a chapter that I've heard a lot of scholars refer to simply as the parable chapter. Because that's some pretty famous ones. Yeah, there's like three parables crammed in here. Yeah. So whether Jesus actually would have told all these parables at the same time, one after the other, or whether Mark is just like recollecting all of the parables that he remembers Jesus teaching in this one section, um, that much is a bit unclear. But yeah, basically Mark throws a bunch of parables into uh, chapter four. Yeah. So uh, there's three parables that explicitly show up in chapter four. There's the seed, the mustard seed, the sower. uh, Oh, no, sorry. There's the seed, the mustard seed. And then the third one is the sower and the soils. Well, and isn't there's the lamp on a stand. Wait, what? Where are you? Where are you looking? Um, I'm Mark chapter four, uh, verse 21. Just wait. I'm looking. I'm looking right now. Um, Verse 21. And he said to them, a lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? It is not brought to be put on Unless a that's less of a parable and more of just an object lesson. <laughs> <laughs> where, do we, where do we draw the line? Yeah. Um, I think that's up to us to decide <laughs> that's for, a, the, for everyone. That's a really good point. I don't know if that counts as a full-on parable. Right. Okay. Um, I was just going based kind of on the headings that I found in the Bibles that I was perusing. Yeah. Um, Mine has the heading, a lamp on a stand. So. Really? Yeah. What version are you reading? I'm reading NIV, Okay, I'm, but not all of like the headings. I feel like headings are sometimes different. Yeah, totally. The same translation. Because I'm reading the NASB and I've got the sower and the soils and then uh, the seed and then the mustard seed. Right. All right. Well, uh, I didn't prepare any material for the lamp on the stand, so we'll just... Uh, <laughs> okay. No, actually... Realistically, I don't think we're even going to be unpacking any of the specific parables in this episode. Yeah. Um, That was kind of, see, my initial plan was like, oh yeah, let's just unpack the parables that Mark tells, you know, just unpack them one by one. And then that was my first mistake because I started looking into this and it was just falling down a rabbit hole, man. Oh yeah. And like, because... We talked uh, a bit about this in the last episode when we were kind of doing a recap, but basically uh, this theme runs through Mark that we've talked about where Jesus seems to be intentionally keeping his message a secret or his, his identity a secret, right? Which is confusing because, you know, he comes to earth, he's the Messiah, or at least that's what we believe and he's got, you know, I've heard, I've heard scholars refer to his uh, ministry, the period of his ministry almost as a campaign, right? Like he's traveling around gathering support for his mission and his ministry. But then 
he there's this especially in Mark there's this interplay between making things known and making things hidden and that's what's going on um we see that in chapter 4 with the uh with the parables right so in um in verse 12 uh, I don't know if you see in the notes here, Mark 4, verse 12. Can yep. I get you to read that for me? Yeah, got it. Um, this is, yeah. Oh, sorry. So I, that. Sorry, I put the Greek oh. there on top. That's just for me. Ignore the Greek. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Oh, no, I'll give that a try. <laughs> okay, so in English. Um, so that while they are seeing, they may see with their eyes and not with their mind. And while they are hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and it would be forgiven them. Oh, what? And it would be... Oh, that is right. I thought I read it wrong. It yeah. would be forgiven them. <laughs> it, see, um, again, I'm using the NAS. Well, actually, this is kind of a Dryden Demchuk original translation. Um, see, what's interesting here, this is a bit beside the point, but in the Greek, um, you might even be able to see this, there's two uh, interesting Greek uh, Greek verbs that he's using, and okay, this is going to be Greek verbs put into the English sentence. So basically Jesus says, uh, well, they, uh, well, they are seeing, they may blepo, but not ido. So those are two Greek verbs. So blepo is uh, basically see with your eyes. Like it's like the physical seeing, like I right. can blepo you right now. And then ido is more, is like understanding. It's like perception. It's like you're not okay. you're not just seeing it, you're actually understanding it. Right. And so I dove into that word a little bit, and one of the uh one of the top translations given by Strong's uh Greek dictionary was uh to see with the mind. So I was like okay. I was like, oh that's cool. They see with their yeah. eyes, but they don't see with their mind. Right. You know? Um yeah. okay, now now Brennan Actually, let's give a little context for this because I, I just kind of dove into that without really explaining what was going on. Uh, okay, so Mark chapter 4, verse 12, uh, he has just told the parable of the sower and the soils. So this is a famous parable that uh, I'm sure anyone who's been going to church for any number of years has probably heard at one time or another. But basically, mm-hmm. uh, there's a sower and he's throwing seeds on different kinds of soil and the different kinds of soil receive the seed differently and the plant grows differently as a result. And uh, after he tells this story, uh, it's uh, so he tells this story. And then in verse nine here, uh, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And as soon as he was alone, his followers along with the 12 began asking him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But those who are outside get everything in parables, so that while seeing, they may see and not perceive, and while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. So, I don't know if your Bible uh, makes this clear, but he's quoting from Isaiah 6. Uh, it's yeah. Isaiah 6, verse 9 through 10. Yeah, I see that. So, here's the thing. You know, and, and and we we talked about this in the last episode when we were doing the recap. Why on earth would Jesus intentionally make his message hard to understand, right? And like, yeah. why? Yeah. Why <laughs> is, is is all I have to say, right? Yeah. Um, and I think it's funny too that. Even Mark makes it clear that the disciples felt the same way, right? Like Jesus is speaking to a crowd and he's speaking in parables. And then there afterwards, the disciples are probably like, you know, Jesus, like, I don't think people understood what you were saying. Like, I I think that probably went over (laughs) people's heads, right? And then, and then Jesus is like, yeah, no, that was intentional. Yeah. Because if you have ears to hear, you'll hear. Yeah. Right. So, Okay. He's quoting from, like I said, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 through 10. So, let's go historical. Okay. What do you know about Isaiah? Oh, shoot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Prophet in the Old Testament. 
you're you're and bang on. You're two for two right now. And I've read the book before, but I don't remember like the context. Yeah. Well, actually, I I think most of the prophets are written out of uh, a time when Israel was exiled, uh, and I think that's the same with Isaiah. You're yeah, you're totally on the right track. So okay. I don't feel bad. I actually had to look this up as well to make sure that I I had it right. But basically, Isaiah, um, and actually, we can't just say Isaiah because the book of Isaiah was has like three distinct sections, each okay. each one kind of dealing with a different, um, different historical, political event and and context. But right. when Isaiah is talking in uh, chapter six. Uh, the context is essentially that Israel is, uh, or well, the two kingdoms, kingdoms of Israel, because there's the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom at that point in time. Right. They're about to be attacked by Assyria. Mm-hmm. This is this is pre-Babylon. Okay. So they're about to be attacked by Assyria. And uh, this is where we get that famous verse. Um, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will oh, go right. for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Um, you and I know someone who has that tattooed on their foot, I think. Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I took a second. <laughs> I do remember that now. Um, so, yeah. And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. So the context of this, you have the Northern Kingdom in Israel and the Southern Kingdom uh, the Northern Kingdom will, we know from a historical perspective, the Northern Kingdom will essentially end up being completely wiped out through a series of invasions and exiles and, and all sorts of stuff. Now, yeah. the Northern Kingdom, I don't know exactly the extent of it at this exact point in time that Isaiah is writing or that Isaiah is prophesying this, but the Northern Kingdom is, uh, shall we say, not totally in obedience to God. Right. right. Surprise. Definitely, definitely the worst of the two. Def- <laughs> if I had to pick a worse one. <laughs> um, yeah. So they are worshiping other gods. They are not following Torah, the commandments mm-hmm. of God. Um, y- you know, the whole thing's just kind of, I mean, surprise, surprise, humanity's not doing a good job of following God. <laughs> so uh, Isaiah chapter six uh, begins so Isaiah says, "Here am I, send me." Mm-hmm. And then God says, "Go and tell this people: Keep on listening, but do not understand. Keep on looking, but do not gain knowledge. Make the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes blind, so that they will see with their eyes and hear with their ears. They will under sorry, so that they will not see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts." and return and be healed. Mm, right. So, okay, so that's what Jesus is quoting. Yeah. When Jesus is talking about his parables. Now, what's interesting is that Isaiah is basically being given the task of purposely blinding the people to what God is doing. Yeah. Which is weird. It's crazy. Right? It's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? It's, yeah, it's super weird. And that's almost, um, it, it, it almost comes across like that's their punishment for not currently being aligned with God. Right. Is that their eyes, are, their eyes and ears are closed to what God is doing and to God's yeah. redemptive purposes. Now, scroll down in the notes there that I gave you. And read what is written in Psalm 135, um, verse 15 to 18. Okay. Oh, so stressful, like reading <laughs> in school. <laughs> I, I hope I don't mess up. <laughs> All right. Psalm 135, 15 to 18. It says, The idols of the nations are nothing but silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have ears, but they do not see. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath at all in their mouths. Those who make them will become like them. Yes, everyone who trusts in them. Is that wild? So, what's being said here in Psalm is, your idols, 
any God that you serve other than the one true God. Your idols are man-made. They have ears, but they don't hear. They have eyes, but they don't see. Right. And if you become preoccupied with idols, you'll become like them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I see. I see the connection. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So this was pointed out to me, um, not to me personally. I don't know this person personally, although I would like to, Uh, but this was pointed out to me in this book. And this is the book that I've been using kind of as my guide to the entire gospel of Mark thus far. This is um, Echoes of Scripture in the Gospels by Dr. Richard Hayes. Uh, To harden the people's senses is not an arbitrary act of divine spite. Rather, it is a specific punishment for Israel's injustice and idolatry, as detailed in the previous chapter of the book of Isaiah. Uh, So now he's referencing Isaiah chapter 5, in which God says to Isaiah, uh, they have rejected the instruction of the Lord and have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Uh, That's Isaiah 5.24. Because they refuse to listen, God inflicts deafness and blindness upon them. This is a punishment particularly appropriate for the sin of idolatry, as suggested by the Old Testament's recurrent critique of lifeless idols. And then he quotes Psalm 135. Hmm. So, what's being said here is that Isaiah's mission, the part of Isaiah's prophetic call, was yeah. that he his message would intentionally be concealed, would intentionally be, I guess we could say, divisive. Like it, it would in it, his message okay. of, and and when I say his message, I should clarify this actually. Very soon after this passage in Isaiah that we're talking about is the promise of the Messiah. Okay. So it's like Isaiah's, Isaiah is being given God's redemptive plan for the world, right? God's redemptive purpose, which includes Messiah. But this first passage in Isaiah that we're reading makes it clear that those of them, those among Isaiah who are preoccupied with other gods, who are committing idolatry, will not hear his message. It's right because they're preoccupied with their idols, with their other gods, with living their own way of life outside of God's rule, their eyes are being shut to God's redemptive plan for the world, which includes the Messiah. Right. And so then Jesus comes telling his parables, and people are confused, like, Jesus, why are your parables so hard to understand? Mm-hmm. And Jesus places himself within this same Isaiah narrative where God's redemptive plan for the world is being revealed, but those who like those who are not going to hear it are just not going to hear it. Right. And that's, ju- that's just the way it is. They're preoccupied with their own idols, with their own way of life. Hmm. And even though they have, even though they have eyes to see, they're not going to see. Yeah. Okay. That's wild. <laughs> it's just very different. Does it, that so was it's, probably the most nonchalant way he could have possibly <laughs> responded. Oh, okay. I'm, try, I'm trying to, t- I'm trying to, trying to work through it in my head. Dude, you and me um, both. Like I'm this, slow. this is new to me as well. Like I, <laughs> so does that like, is, is it sort of, is it sort of framing then like, the re- the Jesus's parables in sort of like a a divine punishment sense. So I don't know if we need to say punishment because actually, okay, this is interesting. See, this happens a few times in the Old Testament, and I always think it's kind of hilarious when it does. But do you see the last part of this quote from Isaiah that Jesus uses? Uh, is he says. So that they will not see with their eyes, they will not hear with their ears, they will not understand with their hearts, and they will not return to be healed. Yeah. My my translation says, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Yeah. Yeah. So that's basically what's, that. I I agree wholeheartedly with your translation. That's basically (laughs) what's being said is, if they did understand what I was doing, they could repent and be forgiven. Yeah. But what's interesting is that even going back to this verse in Isaiah, and this happens a couple of times in the Old Testament, and I always find it very amusing, 
it's like, it's almost as if God himself cannot hold back his forgiving nature. And yeah, because God is saying, if they returned, if they repented, I would, I would forgive them. Right. But Isaiah, you can't let that happen. <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. your job is to blind, your job is to blind their eyes so yeah. that, because if they come begging for forgiveness, I'm going to give it to them. <laughs> yeah. Um, I remember the Bible project podcast talking about that a little bit, or maybe they were talking about whether God changes like his plans. I, uh, either way, they they referenced, uh, I think, Jeremiah, that God told them, told him not to pray for the people. Yeah. Or else they, yeah. Or else like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Same thing. Like he'd forgive them or they would like, uh, re- repent and he didn't, yeah, like didn't want that. Yeah. Which is weird to think about well, it, and it, like it gives this to... weird it gives this weird level of personhood to god yeah because yeah. like you and i have been in situations like that like i i i know i've been in situations like that where it's like i'm mad at this person and i don't even want to go talk to them because i know if i talk to them then then I'll feel bad for them and then I'll forgive them right like <laughs> you know what i mean like we we almost right. like hold on it's like we we just want to we just want to shut the whole situation out because we know that we're going to be like right you know it's almost like we know we're pushovers sometimes <laughs> and and it's weird to give that attribute to god yeah is it is it more that he is con- almost concerned not like not concerned but like thinking about his nature or is it that he's thinking these people need to like face punishment for what they've done like is that the more is that more of the focus yeah like he knows i that if that their idolatry will lead to destruction and he knows that like that should happen yeah i, I feel like so <laughs> i'm sitting here acting like i know the mind of god <laughs> and, and and i don't i'll right. be the first one to admit that i don't know the mind of god there is a lot we won't there's a lot know. we don't know and i think what you're getting at though and i think we mentioned this when we were talking about the messianic secret in the last episode when jesus keeps his identity a secret you said and i think you're bang on you said, well, he had to kind of keep his identity a secret for at least a bit, because if he would have let it all, let the truth out too quickly, then, you know, like he would have probably been arrested sooner and, and blah, blah, right. blah. But, but in order for the, in order for the plan to play out the way it did, the way it had to, yeah, he had to be strategic about his, about revealing his identity. Right. Yeah. And I, I think you're, I think you're bang on. And actually- I, I was a little bit unsure still last week when we talked about it, but in a lot of the reading that I've done around the parables, um, I, I've actually found a lot of scholars back that up and say, you know, like, yeah, practically speaking, Jesus couldn't just go stand on a mountain right away. Like, I am the Messiah, yeah. follow me, you know, like that he would have right. just been put down right away and, and nothing would have come of it. Yeah. Um. So I wouldn't... <laughs> I, I just, <laughs> sorry, I just had this thought of like the Pharisees being like, Oh, he's claiming to be, be the Messiah. And then like, and then like Pilate or like the government be like, Oh, he's just talking about bread and seeds. Like, I don't know what this guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we can't arrest him for that. <laughs> and the Pharisees are like, no, but no, but you got to read between the lines because you see <laughs> he's quoting from Isaiah and blah, blah, blah. But, <laughs> yeah. No, but it, it, yeah, no, you're you're absolutely correct. There was nothing about there's nothing about the seeds and the soil that was inherently arrestable, right? <laughs> yeah. Um and so I wonder then if there isn't a similar kind of thing at play when God says to Isaiah, you know, let's keep let's keep the people from repenting for now. Hmm. Because yeah. if they repent, I'm going to forgive them. And then and then my redemptive purposes aren't going to, and then my redemptive plan isn't going to play out the way it needs to. Mm, okay. Yeah. Because see, okay. Now in, in order to get into this, we need to get into kind of the second part. See, okay. So I just, and and I may have done a really bad job of it and, and I may have completely overwhelmed and scared away everyone who's listening, 
But <laughs> if so, I I just gave kind of the broad historical like context for kind of the narrative that Jesus is placing himself in this wider narrative, right. this wider prophetic narrative. Yeah. Now, let's think more small scale, like more local. If you are an average Israelite or yeah, if you're an average Israelite living in the time of Jesus, you are living under Roman military occupation. Mm-hmm. You're paying taxes out the wazoo that are <laughs> completely cr- <laughs> Like, remember when Tiger King was big and we would always say, I will never financially recover from this. <laughs> yeah, that was a great meme. Yeah, great meme. Anyway, that's basically the Israelites. They're being taxed yeah. and they're like, we're never going to financially recover from this. <laughs> like, this isn't. And they're, they have no sovereignty. Their mm-hmm. capital of Jerusalem isn't being recognized. Actually, I was reading online today about how the at one point, I think it was actually after Jesus's life though. But at one point the Romans actually changed the name of Jerusalem in their governance because they, and they gave it, I forget what the name was that they gave it, but they gave it a Roman name because they thought if they took away the name that the Israelites had given it, then it would kind of remove some of their cultural attachment to the site of Jerusalem. Hmm. And, but anyway, so that's the kind of reality that the average Israelite is living under, this Roman military occupation. They're being heavily taxed. Their God isn't being recognized. They have no sovereignty politically. They're yeah. living under they're living under this guy, Herod, who is really, in a lot of ways, just kind of a Roman puppet. And they're expecting, they're, they're living with this prophetic expectation that comes down to them from the prophets like Isaiah, that it's not always going to be this way, that their sovereignty will be returned to them. Um, they're they're looking back nostalgically at the kingdom of David, and mm-hmm. they're thinking, when will we be sovereign like that again? When will we have a king like that again? Yeah. And we're going to talk about this in the next couple of episodes, how Jesus identifies himself with David throughout the Gospel of Mark, which is really interesting. Right. And, but, and they're holding on to this prophetic promise that comes from Isaiah and the other prophets, that from the line of David— there will be another king that will restore the kingdom of God. So when you and I, coming from the modern church context, when you and I hear the term kingdom of God, I think we're kind of predisposed to give that kind of a spiritual meaning, right? Rather, like, right. like we yeah. don't think of that, like when we go to church and we say, oh, this is the kingdom of God. Like we're, we, we know we're still living in Canada, right? Like, right. Like we know it's not a political (laughs) entity. Like we're, we're talking in kind of a broader spiritual language. Okay. That's not what the average Israelite was thinking in the time of Jesus. Right. When they heard kingdom of God, they were thinking sovereign state. Like we're not going to be living under Rome anymore. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. And it's at the point where, uh, there are kind of these Jewish rebel groups, these Israelite like freedom fighters that are going off into the hills and leading this kind of guerrilla warfare against Rome. Mm-hmm. And there's there's actually some really cool uh, archaeological history here of kind of like Jewish like ninja soldiers that would lead these like stealth raids onto like Roman military encampments and stuff. It's pretty sick. But that is pretty. Sick. <laughs> but but that's not the kingdom, Brennan. That's not what yeah, Jesus I, I came wouldn't, to do. I wouldn't endorse it. But if it was in a movie, I would probably watch it. <laughs> um, they there there was a um, there was a group called the Sicarii, which meant the daggers. And they're like, they, name. they were right. It's a cool name. Yeah. And they were literally like the Jewish, uh, rebel freedom fighter group that were, yeah. you know, leading this guerrilla warfare against Rome. Right. And so there's this expectation that surely God isn't going to leave us under Roman occupation forever. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it's not even just Rome. First it was Assyria. Then it was Babylon. You know, it's this whole chain of, uh, it's this whole chain of occupiers. Yeah. And it's currently manifesting in Rome, but there's this expectation that it's not always going to be that way. And so then this guy, Jesus, comes along 
and he says, uh, you know, the kingdom of God is like a man throwing seeds onto a field and, and you know, the, some of them land in rocky soil and don't grow and blah, blah, blah. You're thinking like, what? <laughs> <laughs> right that's so true and I, I didn't think of i've never thought about it in that trying to just picture myself being like yeah kingdom of god of of, of different country of country yeah. that is you know yeah. the israelites <laughs> and, and, and jesus is like well yeah. it's like a mustard seed and you're like yeah. how is it like a mustard seed <laughs> right <laughs> Yeah, and because like, it grows into a big plant, you're like, ah, what? <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't help at all. Yeah, um, I guess the nation will grow bigger. Yeah, and think? so again, I think it's it's harder for us to kind of understand the full, like, just how puzzling Jesus's parables were to his listeners, right? Because we already kind of have this understanding that, oh, the kingdom of God wasn't the kingdom that they were expecting and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. We already kind of have that understanding. So we don't really come to this with the full, like we're not really able to experience the full confusion that Jesus's initial followers must have felt. Right. And then after Jesus tells these stories, people come up to him and they're like, what are you talking about? And he gives this quote from Isaiah. Oh, well, if you have ears to hear, you'll hear. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't help at all, right? But then um, I want to – just give me a second here. Here we go. This is Mark 4, uh, verse 11 through 12. So this is – the disciples come to Jesus basically and they're like, what on earth are you talking about? What are are these parables that you're telling? Mm -hmm. And Jesus says to them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything comes in parables. In order that, and then he quotes Isaiah, uh, they may indeed look but not perceive, and may indeed listen but not understand, so that they may not turn again and be forgiven. Now, um, I'm going to go ahead and quote uh, Richard Hayes here again. He says, the term... Uh, the, the Greek term mysterion, which we translate to mystery in that verse, uh, the Greek term mysterion appears often in apocalyptic texts as a designation for the hidden truth revealed to the seer. For example, when Daniel goes before King Nebuchadnezzar to decode the king's symbolic dream, he prefaces his interpretation with these words. No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or diviners can show to the king the mystery that the king is asking. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has disclosed to King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen at the end of days. So that's uh, Daniel chapter 2. In the context of Mark's gospel, however, it seems odd that the disciples are described as recipients of the mystery of the kingdom of God since they repeatedly demonstrate their failure to understand what Jesus is trying to tell them. The saying must be understood proleptically as a promissory indication of a secret vouchsafed to the disciples whose meaning will be understood only later, after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. I'm trying to think through that. There's, there's a lot of that that I was no, trying it's okay. to catch. <laughs> let's 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 unpack it. This is yeah, this is why go, you're here to call, go, to go hold through me, thr- to hold me to account when I start talking too fast. Yeah, I couldn't take it all in in one read on one read through. <laughs> so basically, what's being said here by Doctor Richard Hayes is that this term mystery, because Jesus turns to the disciples yeah. and he says, "To you has been given the mystery of God, or right. the mystery of the kingdom of God." This is a term that is common in uh, Jewish apocalyptic texts. Not even Jewish apocalyptic texts, just apocalyptic, apocalyptic texts in general. The, now, the mystery of what's being revealed is yeah that that word is common. Like yeah okay. yeah that thing that these secrets are revert, are referred to as mysteries. Uh, okay. Now we think of mysteries kind of as we use the term mystery a bit differently. We use the term mystery a as kind murder of murder like, mystery. What? Like a murder mystery. Like a murder mystery. <laughs> we use the term mystery as like something that we're trying to figure out. Right. Right. Something that, yeah, like something that we're trying to figure out. 
Whereas, and this Greek term mysterion, that's where we get our word mystery. And it's, I mean, on the surface, it's basically the same thing because it's something that's not, it's something that's not clear. It's something that you, you, you need something extra in order for it to make sense. Okay. But there's, I think there's more so the sense, especially when the term is used in the Bible, that, um, like, nobody understands this. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Hmm. Whereas okay. I, th- I think in our usage, right. we're like, oh, this is a mystery. Let's try to figure it out. <laughs> right. Right. Obviously, there's an answer. Right. right. Obviously, right. there's an answer. Whereas I think when it's used uh. in the Bible, it's more so like, this is something that doesn't make sense yet. Yeah. But just be patient. Right. Right. It's not supposed to make sense yet. Yeah. Okay. So what Dr. Hayes is saying here is that when Jesus says to the, to the disciples, the mystery of the kingdom of God has been revealed to you. Essentially we're supposed to read that and understand that until Jesus's mission was complete until the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension, that was when the disciples started to understand what he was talking about. Right. Now, because it was a mystery, it wasn't going to make mm-hmm. sense until the appointed time. Yeah. Yeah. Now, until they finally realized that he, it's not, he wasn't going to be the next king of Israel. Yeah. And but a then, bunch of other stuff. <laughs> and, and we can imagine during the crucifixion, when before the resurrection, when Jesus was just dead. Yeah. They were thinking like, well, what was that all about? Mm-hmm. Right, like all, they went, they went back to fishing. Yeah, to their old job. They're, they're like, like well, well, that's that was three three years of my life of not getting back. <laughs> Guess I'll go catch another fish. Uh, yeah, no, but it, it, exactly because they're like, well, okay, but then he resurrects, and mm-hmm. they're like, oh, right, <laughs> now yeah. the whole thing makes sense, <laughs> and so that's so, Doctor Hayes. I think is explaining that that's basically what Jesus is saying to the disciples when he says the mystery of the kingdom of God is being entrusted to you. Right now to people who are outside to people who are outside our group, to people who are not receptive of me, it's, it's going to be a parable. It's not going to make sense. Right. But I'm entrusting, trusting it to you and in due time, it will make sense to you. Does that, does that make sense to you, Brennan? (laughs) Yeah, I think, I think so. So, uh, we'll talk a lot more about this when we get to the gospel of John, which will not be for a while yet, but be patient, (laughs) Brennan. At the appointed time, we will get to John. And, um, because in John, uh, (laughs) the thing I like about the gospel of John is that it was written so long after Jesus's life that we can assume that John himself was a very old man when it was being composed. Right. And it's very, when you, when you read it with that in mind, you see that as an old man, John is kind of looking back at his time with Jesus and realizing just how stupid he was at the time, because (laughs) there's a lot of comments in the gospel of John where he says like, you know, at the time, we had no idea what Jesus was talking about. But right. after, the re- after the resurrection, then it made sense. Yeah. Right? We all smiled and nodded. And- <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah. We're like, oh, yeah, okay. Well, and there's – um, where is it? It's somewhere in this chapter in Mark. I don't have it underlined. Where Jesus says something about uh, bread. And the disciples are like, oh, he's mad because we didn't bring any bread. I I don't know if that's in this chapter. I read the chapter today, but maybe I missed it. Because that's that's on a boat, but the one yeah. boat story in, in, in Mark chapter 4 is the, just the quick, like, there's the yeah. squall, Jesus was sleeping, and then he calms the storm. That's the whole story. Yeah. Yeah, okay. We'll get to that in a future episode once I find it. Yeah. But, yeah, no, so it's... And and this is what Richard Hayes is getting at here. It is apparent, even in Mark, even if Mark makes it a bit less apparent, it's apparent that even the disciples don't know what's going on. Yeah. So when we encounter, when like when they encounter the parables, it's being it's being entrusted to them mm-hmm. until the appointed time when it will make sense. Right. Right. 
So uh, there's there's a few more things I think that should be said about the parables, and and this is where uh, I think y- you might even have more insight than I do. But in my experience, I think the parables were always like growing up in church. I think the parables were always taught to us as like being about what we should do. Oh yeah. Right. Totally. Yeah. It's like, I think, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not inherently wrong. It's not, it's not wrong to read the parables and think, okay, how does this apply to me? Mm -hmm. Because, but Jesus isn't talking about Dryden and Brennan when he's telling the parables. Right. Jesus is talking about what he's doing. He's talking about the kingdom of God, which he's bringing. Right. And he knows that he's bringing the kingdom of God. He he knows that he's bringing it with him. And, and he knows that the kingdom of God that he's bringing is so radically different from what people are expecting that it's not going to make sense to a lot of them. It's always going to be a parable. It's always going to be a puzzle. Yeah. But it's not, I, I think we need to clarify that the parables that Jesus is telling are about him and what he's doing and what it means now to follow Jesus and follow in the redemptive plan for the world that Jesus is a part of. It's not so much like, it's not just like neatly packaged little moral lessons. Yeah. Right. And there's, there's some that lend themselves to easily, you know, draw out a moral lesson than others. Like, like the good Samaritan. Yeah. It's like, that comes right after like he's like love your neighbor and then yeah well i'm supposed to love my neighbor i'm glad you brought that up actually because the good samaritan is one that's not even in that's not in mark chapter four so that wasn't one that i was going to focus on but i'm glad you brought it up because in my research that's one parable that i came across which is um it's i like i don't want to say it's misused because yeah the point of the story is love your is love your neighbor right i'm not going to deny that but the context is so interesting because in the context, Jesus is talking about loving your neighbor. And this guy says to him, well, but who is my neighbor? And right. what, what this guy is thinking is, yeah, I'm an Israelite. I'm going to love other Israelites because those are my neighbors. Yeah. Right. And then Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, knowing full well that when this guy says, well, who is my neighbor? He's not expecting the Samaritan to count as his neighbor. Yeah. Because the Samaritans were basically the, hated the by worst. The, right. They were, the, <laughs> <laughs> we hate those guys uh, basically hated by the Jewish world. Right. Yeah. And so Jesus tells this story and the good Samaritan, you know, in the story stops and, and helps the man by the roadside and then when Jesus finishes the story, he says, now who was, who was the neighbor in that story? Mm-hmm. And obviously the Samaritan was the neighbor. Yeah. So yeah, but we guy- can take a moral lesson from that for ourselves that we need to love our neighbor no matter who they are. Yeah. Right. Even if it's from a group of people that were predisposed to not love. Mm-hmm. But the point of the story, if we're reading Jesus's parables within the much wider prophetic narrative that he's putting them in. The point is, you know, in God's redeemed world, to be part of God's redeemed world, these ethnic divides don't divide you anymore. Yeah. Right? You don't get to pick and choose who to love based on these national and ethnic divides. Right? right? Even, the, even the Samaritan is your neighbor mm-hmm. in, in God's new world, in God's new redeemed creation. Yeah. Right. And and to follow Jesus is to live in in that redeemed creation, or at least fake it till you make it. I'm tempted to say. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, that's a really broad, sweeping overview of how Jesus places his parables within kind of a broader prophetic narrative and and i will stress this is just mark we're not even dealing with the other three gospels yet right so this is just mark chapter four and this is just how mark places jesus's parables within a wider prophetic narrative Mm -hmm. and in the future 
uh, like in, in the next episode, uh, what I'm hoping to do is unpack actually like the specific parables that Jesus tells cool. and kind of dive into them that way. And uh, yeah, I'm not sure how long that will take, but uh, <laughs> this, this, yeah. this episode took a lot longer than I was expecting it. There was a lot more material here than I was expecting there to be. <laughs> so I wouldn't be surprised if the next episodes were the same way. Yeah. Any, any closing thoughts, comments, questions? Uh, I not no not at the moment not, not if we're not if we're gonna get into the parables at a later date then yeah <laughs> just <laughs> save all your energy for then I won't ask a question that will throw us down another you rabbit just, hole <laughs> Brennan I am I am entrusting you with the mystery of Jesus's parables mm-hmm. and at the appointed time next Thursday night <laughs> <laughs> they'll all be revealed they'll all make sense <laughs> okay perfect. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. We hope to see you again next week. It really means a lot to us if you take the time to like, comment, or subscribe, or even leave a rating on whatever platform you're using to listen to us. That really helps us to get this podcast out to a broader audience. The music we used in this episode is a song called The Great Commission by a group called Joyspring. And once again, my name is Dryden. I'm a graduate student in theology. And joining me on this episode was my good friend Brennan, who is a pastor and worship leader. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. We'll see you next week.